mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, what's old is definitely what's new in 2024, a look ahead to a year of change at the Hancock Historical Museum. Also this morning in our community and business spotlight, the United Way of Hancock County is now scheduling appointments for free tax help through the VITA program. To your health this morning, about 3 million Americans have a pacemaker to help their heart function properly. And like everything else, technology continues to improve the quality of those devices. And in a podcast exclusive this morning, looking for a winter getaway where you can hit the slopes? The folks in western Massachusetts would like to invite you for a visit. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, January 31st, 2024. So this is a really interesting study from a sociology professor by the name of Martin Schroeder. And I don't know where he is a professor. I don't know what university. And I don't know if this university research or just his own personal research. But it is a common complaint to hear that young people these days just don't want to work. You heard mostly mostly older folks uh, from older generations will say, what's wrong with a generation today? These kids just don't want to work these days. But is it true? This uh, sociology professor, Martin Schroeder, set out to see if that is the case, if millennials and Gen Zers have a different work ethic than older generations. He analyzed data... Apparently, this is a guy who's not afraid of work uh, because he analyzed data from 600,000 people. 600,000 people. You know, just something you do in your spare time. So he crunched the numbers and he could not, he could not find a correlation between generation and work ethic. He said, I was not able to find anything to suggest that attitudes toward work and career are actually related to to the year in which someone was born. He did find that asking someone at various stages of their life did make a difference. Depending on when you asked, you would get a different answer. For example, younger individuals of any generation show less willingness to work compared with middle-aged individuals. So it actually seems as though it is a matter of of just growing up. It's not something inherent in this generation. It's just because they're young, and younger people tend to not want to work as hard as uh, when we get older. So, I don't know. I just thought that was uh, kind of interesting. So, make of that what you will. Some research there. It's just not true that this generation just doesn't want to work. They just haven't grown up yet, apparently, is the message. Um, You know, the other thing that young people don't want to do, they don't want to work. They don't want to go out after work. Um, A new survey of 2,000 adults between the ages of 21 and 26 finds that two-thirds of Gen Zers prefer to drink at home, not in a bar. The idea of going bar hopping apparently is on the way out or going for drinks after work. I guess if you're not working... (laughs) <laughs> you can't go for drinks after work. But, um, yeah, uh, and you would think age 21 to 26 this is prime bar hopping years, but two-thirds of Gen Zers prefer to drink at home. Of those who enjoy wine, 72% prefer to drink with friends, 
while only 49% would prefer to open a bottle with their partner. Uh, 28% of Gen Z adults would judge someone for drinking wine out of a plastic cup or mason jar. (laughs) All right. When it comes to picking a new wine, 39% will listen to recommendations from friends and family. 12% pick uh, pick a new wine based on the interesting label on the bottle. So, again, make of that what you will, but... interesting uh, some of the uh, habits of younger people today but we're not just picking on uh, the uh, younger generations this i thought was interesting one of the first things you need to know the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day and this is a study out of bowling green uh, bgsu bowling green state university finds that divorce rates among those age 65 and up have tripled tripled All the while, divorce rates among younger adults are falling. These baby boomers may be divorcing as their children reach adulthood. According to the researchers, head researcher Brad Wilcox says, I think more and more couples have some appreciation for this idea that it's better for the kids' sake to remain married, that your kids are more likely to flourish in school and in life if you remain married, but then they grow up, they leave the nest, And mom and dad find that they are no longer uh, enamored with each other. And so we're seeing divorce rates skyrocket among older Americans. He also noted that years of addiction or abuse can also take their toll, causing one partner to want a divorce after many years. But kind of interesting. Uh, Divorce rates among, again, uh, it's one of the uh, things that we think about with uh, younger generations. They're waiting longer to get married. They're just not as uh, conventional in getting married at uh, at younger ages. But it is the older set that uh, actually are getting divorced more uh, more often these days than our uh, younger people. We think people get married too young. They're setting themselves up for divorce. Apparently not the case. Interesting stuff, nonetheless. And what does this say about all of us? Uh, Again, another uh, survey. This is a poll of 1,000 Americans. 53% say they believe in the existence of aliens. And about a third of Americans believe it is possible that alien life is among us today. (laughs) According to the survey, 39% believe or suspect that their current boss could be an alien. (laughs) 39% say their boss could be an alien. Um, The results show that when it comes to believing in extraterrestrial life, many Americans are open to the possibility. This is uh, according to Michael Dinich of the website wealthofgeeks.com, which apparently commissioned this survey. It seems a sizable number of people have reason to question whether their boss may be of this planet or not. That's what it says. 42% um, in the survey, 42% believe if they were chosen to secure peace with alien life, that they would effectively represent planet Earth. 42% of us believe that we would be able to effectively represent planet Earth in peace negotiations with aliens. 
I don't know. Could we really? I mean, think about that. Could we really uh, represent Earth, the entire planet, all of humanity? Could we represent all of humanity in negotiating with aliens when 39% of us believe that our boss may be an alien? I mean, we having trouble with that, and we think we could represent planet Earth? I'm not sure. But anyway, <laughs> again, make of it what you will. And a couple of other items here among the first things you need to know, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Um, new emoji are coming. Uh, iPhone users will soon be able to enhance their graphic vocabulary with the addition of a whopping 118 new emoji. Uh, this is going to be available as part of a beta version of the new iOS 17.4, which is slated to drop sometime this spring. So this spring, we iPhone users, you have that, that to look forward to 118 new emoji. Now, there is actually a an organization that is a repository for the official emoji standard. And this is not that. So this is iPhone-specific emoji. I don't know if you send these emoji to somebody who doesn't have an iPhone. I don't know what would appear. Uh, so these are not universally uh, accepted emoji standard. So I'll put that out there. But some of the uh, new emoji that are coming as part of this update in the spring to iPhone users, a phoenix, a shaking head, and four gender-neutral families, it says here. Those are just a couple of examples. I don't know uh, about the rest. I'll dig into this a little deeper and see if we can uh, find that. But uh, more ways to express yourself pictorially with the uh, growing language of emoji. 118 new emoji uh, coming with the new iOS uh, update in the spring. And how about some good news here? If you die today, it is not likely to be because you are struck by lightning, apparently. The National Lightning Safety Council has announced that 13 people were killed by lightning in 2023. That is the second lowest number since 2001 and well under the 10-year average of 22. So far fewer people died by lightning last year than average. The first National Lightning Safety Awareness Campaign was initiated by the National Weather Service and the National Lightning Safety Council in 2001. They've been tracking the number of people killed by lightning ever since. And the numbers have been on the decline since 01, since that first lightning safety awareness campaign. The lowest fatality count was in 2021 when only 11 lightning-related deaths uh, were recorded. So I again, uh, make of that what you will. Uh, there is uh, good news. Fewer people uh, being killed by lightning. We're taking this more seriously now, I guess. So there you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, mostly cloudy today, high around 40, partly cloudy tonight, a low in the mid-30s. 
Recreational marijuana dispensaries could be opening around Ohio later in the year, but officials in Findlay and Hancock County are hesitant to allow them. Finley Mayor Christina Mern says her main worry is an inundation of billboards and advertisements taking over the city. Making sure that we don't become a state like Michigan where they have the billboards all over the place and it's kind of glamorized, just widely accessible. And at the county level, the Hancock County Adamus Board is also not ready to support dispensaries either. Their executive director says unlike tobacco and alcohol, there have been no national studies on the effects of cannabis on a variety of pre-existing conditions to make educated decisions on. WTOL 11's John Monk reporting. The first ever Winter Art Walk in Finley will be held on Friday. From 5 to 9 p.m., you'll be able to hear live music, meet artists, and even purchase a piece of art during the event in downtown Finley. Art Walk is a free event that's open to the whole family and now takes place four times a year, the first Fridays in February, May, August, and November. See the full schedule and learn more about Art Walk in the story on our website. Speaking of art, an updated law is changing how some museums in Ohio display certain artwork. It's known as NAGPRA, and it was created in 1990 in order to protect and return cultural items to Native Americans. The act now requires museums and federal agencies to get consent from tribes before they display those items. For now, the Cleveland Museum of Art says it will not display any art that falls under the new definition. The museum says it's going through records to see if consent has already been obtained for some items. I'm Tracy Townsend. Some Hancock County Sheriff's Office employees had the opportunity to participate in the very first Amazing Shake competition at Liberty Benton Elementary Middle School. The competition was created to prepare students for professional careers by teaching them manners, discipline, respect, and professional conduct. Learn more about the Amazing Shake competition and see some pictures of the Sheriff's Office employees participating in it in this story on our website. And remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So it is our cover story this morning. The Hancock Historical Museum about to reopen for a new year. Typically, they are closed through the month of January. And this year... Uh, what is old is definitely what's new. There is uh, going to be a year of change at the museum. Curator uh, Joy Bennett is with us in the studio this morning. Joy, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So, uh, first of all, I mean, you're jumping right in. The first uh, Brown Bag Lunch Lecture is uh, coming up tomorrow. Talking about banned books, yes. which is yeah. kind of an interesting uh, topic. It is, yes. One of our volunteers, Teresa Lambert, uh, she was in a book club that uh, they focused on reading books that have been banned hmm. in the history. And that got her really interested in the history of banned books. So yeah. she was really into exploring that. You know, I, I think what's uh, interesting, and not to go too far off on this tangent here, uh, is not just what books uh, are are banned, but the reasons, the various reasons that people object to various banned books. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. I think she's going to look a little bit into that, like why these specific books that they read were banned. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think she's going to get too controversial or anything. Right. Um, But yeah, there are some that it's kind of, when looking back on it now, it's kind of funny that they Mm -hmm. decided to ban those particular books. Yeah, because what is uh, against the mores of the day may be uh, very different in the, uh, in, in modern society yeah so, exactly yeah really uh, fascinating stuff so that is at noon tomorrow right yes 
So noon tomorrow for the uh, Brown Bag Lunch Lecture is the first uh, big event of the year for the uh, Hancock Historical Museum. And uh, then during the time that you have off, it's not like you're just sitting around doing nothing. Uh, you kind of refresh some of the exhibits and, and look at new things to show off from your collection and so on? Yes, it's definitely not a vacation. It's probably <laughs> the most stressful month of the year for me. Um, not only do we have to clean, like do a deep clean of the entire facility, um, but yeah, uh, this year we are putting up a large new exhibit in our, in our community room on the 90s. Interesting. Um, we're calling it uh, Growing Up 90s Hancock County Edition. Okay. Um, so it's focusing on being a kid or a teenager in Hancock County in the 90s. So talk a little bit about this uh, th- this exhibit. This kind of actually grew out of, I know the, the 60s exhibit was really, really popular. Yes. And so kind of fast forward a little bit. Is well, that really where it came That's from actually or? what it did come from. Okay. Um, we put this exhibit, to, that exhibit together. We got to see all of these people, our parents' ages coming into the museum. They were dancing. They were having a great time. They got to reminisce. And we're like, We want to do that. Um, And since the staff is mostly younger uh, women, we were like, we should do the 90s because that's one thing we all had in common. Yeah. Um, And so we were thinking back to all the fun stuff we used to do. And we decided we have to do a 90s exhibit, even if we're not quite ready for the 90s to be history yet. (laughs) Well, that's what I was uh, was saying. You know, uh, thinking here... I don't think of the 90s as being historical. It's not old enough yet. But then again, uh, that's uh, a little... I was not a teenager in the, in the 90s. I was already an adult at that time. So, But this is history. I mean, we're talking about 30 years ago. Exactly. And that's one of those things you can tell that we're all getting older because yeah. we realize, oh... That is 30 years ago. We keep right. thinking it's 10 years ago, mm-hmm. 15 years ago. But yeah, it's 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 getting to that point where like when I was growing up, I thought the 70s were so far away <laughs> in yeah. the 90s, but like that's the yeah. same the same distance. Exactly. So, yeah. I I always look at that when when I think of, of of things like that to put it in perspective. I mean, I graduated high school in 1985. So if you talk about 30 years prior to that, that's like the mid 50s. Uh, yeah. is that long ago when I graduated high school is how long ago the 90s is today. So, right. And again, if you put yourself into that perspective, that seemed like an awful long time ago when right. uh, now we have a very different perspective. But is in putting this together, uh, first of all, how long did it take? to When you put together something like this, what's the... Oh, it takes years. Um, I mean, you have to come up yeah. with the idea first, and then mm-hmm. you have to do lots and lots of research, and then you have to put it out there like, okay, we're right. doing this exhibit. Yeah. We need stuff um, if, we, you know, if we don't already have things. Yeah, because I would imagine that uh, within the collection, given that it is relatively recent, there's probably not a whole lot of stuff in the collection yeah, from there, the 90s. There's yeah. not. Um, yeah. It's actually kind of like... Uh, after the nineteen early nineteen seventies, mm-hmm. they just kind of there's not almost nothing right. except I've been trying to like push for that stuff lately. Right. Uh, you know, late seventies, eighties, nineties. So as kind of a sidebar, this does allow you to add to the collections some stuff that is a little more recent. Perhaps. Yeah, it, it yeah. does. And what's great is in the research, I get to find out all these things that I didn't know happened mm-hmm. um, in the nineties. Is it is it surprising to you when you look at how much has changed since the 90s? Again, we don't think of it as being that long ago, but a lot can change in the community 
in 30 years. Yeah, a, a lot really has changed. Um, and it's super interesting uh, to see all the different uh, events that used to happen then that don't happen anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just the way thing, buildings looked. Um, there's a very different feel to the 90s. Although I would say downtown definitely looks much better now than it did in in the 80s and 90s. That's uh, very true. <laughs> I mean, things. Uh, that's another thing we tend to think of the good old days, but in some cases, what you find is that things have very much improved in the ensuing years. Yes, although yeah. I would say the mall area is the opposite because right. the mall was huge and expanding in the 90s, right. and uh, yeah. sadly. There's not much going on at the mall anymore. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's uh, definitely a different community now than it was then. Mm-hmm. We don't think about it, but this will be fun to hear uh, hear and see people looking at this exhibit and uh, kind of thinking about the 90s in a different way. It is, definitely. And I'm, I'm looking forward to a lot of things. Like I, I want to add a website component to the exhibit where we get people's stories and some of their memories from mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, just posting some things on Facebook, getting seeing what people did when they went to Ohio State, uh, for one. Like <laughs> There's that blew the up. Yeah. Uh, everybody was so excited about that. So I love hearing those mm-hmm. personal stories. Like, oh, you know, I had my first kiss at Ohio State. <laughs> um, you know, we went to the the movie theater that's in the mall on our first date. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, and it doesn't even have to be milestones. Just we to, hung out there all a, the time. To a certain extent, does some of that kind of redefine what a historical museum is? I mean, a, a, again, you talk about some of those stories and I think a lot of times that's not necessarily what we think of when we think of a quote-unquote museum exhibit. You know what I mean? And that's very true, although that's how I approach it. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's my personal favorite thing about history and and what I can do at the museum is being able to tell those stories that make things real, make them more personal. And, you know, I mean, you can read all about a a battle, but it's, you know, it's Mm kind of interesting. But until you get that person's first person perspective right. of that battle right that's when you get like the real the real interesting components of mm-hmm. it yeah um and so like and even in everyday stuff that's really just i feel like uh in a way i'm a storyteller i get to tell the stories of absolutely. the community and the people in it absolutely so that is the the big new exhibit this yes. year right so uh folks would be able to uh, check that out uh definitely a visit to the museum will be worth your time uh to uh, check out the the 90s exhibit at the hancock historical museum and uh as we know uh you have a new executive director what is um i i guess for lack of a better term, kind of the mood heading into a new year. A lot of change. We said uh, definitely a lot of new things in history, the uh, year of change <laughs> at the Hancock Historical Museum. Yes, definitely. I think um, we will all miss Sarah Sisser very much. She has been a big part of the museum for the last 10 years, mm-hmm. and she will be very hard to replace. Um, but we are definitely looking forward to having Sarah Foltz um, on board. She's got some great new ideas, a fresh perspective. I think we're all looking forward to all the new ideas she'll have, the great programming we'll come up with and everything. I know she's got some big shoes to fill, but I think she'll be able to to do that very well. Yeah. And, and it's not like uh, Sarah is necessarily unfamiliar. She was on the, uh, on the board. She's yes. on the board. Yep, and, she was and so on the board. So. And so she's very familiar yeah. with how a mm-hmm. lot of things go. She, so she's ahead of the curve already. Yeah. She just has to get down in the, the nitty-gritty day-to-day <laughs> yeah. uh, stuff. Yeah. So not necessarily completely green coming in here, but exactly. always, always fun 
uh, to have uh, fresh ideas, fresh perspective, that kind of thing. Yes, so absolutely. We'll look forward to uh, talking with Sarah many times for the uh, coming year. Again, uh, curator Joy Bennett from the Hancock Historical Museum talking about what is new for 2024 at the museum. Joy, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Now, the Good Mornings Community and Business Spotlight. Putting the United Way of Hancock County in the spotlight this morning, Kelly McClurkin is here, and uh, you reached the campaign goal. Folks might have heard this uh, in the news. It was another successful fundraising campaign, so kudos, $2 million raised yes, in the community. Thank you. Big uh, thank you, big shout out to everybody who made it happen. Yes, and that is the, our entire community that helps make that happen. So, uh, yes, thanks for all of our donors, um, people who donate their time, workplace campaigns, you name it. Process it takes of, the community. Uh, yes, absolutely. And now in the process of doling out that money and supporting yeah. the uh, various programs uh, that really touch uh, just about every member of the community in some way. Yeah, so um, we reached campaign goal. Mm-hmm. We put that money to work in three ways. One way is what people typically think of us right. with our partner agencies and their programs. Right. Uh, another way is through collaborations that enhance our whole community. Um, but then what I think we're leading up to here is uh, through services like our VITA program. Right. And obviously we are now into tax season. Yes. Uh, the IRS has opened up uh, tax filing season this week. And for those who need a little help, that's what the VITA program is all about. That's right. VITA simply just stands for volunteer income tax assistance. Um, this program is completely run by volunteers. So again, it takes a whole community, right, right to, exactly. to keep this going. And we are so appreciative of them. Um, but it's an IRS program uh, that serves income eligible individuals that live or work in Hancock County. Now, a lot of times when we think of VITA, we think this is uh, for older folks, and it's not an age thing, it's an income thing. It's not, yes. Um, So people can call. We have a direct line for VITA. That's 567-250-1955. And there are a few qualifying questions, uh, but basically if your income, your total household income is under $64,000, most Hancock County residents... um, would qualify. And uh, this can help you sort out those uh, forms and, and you know, file uh, all of the necessary paperwork and get all of the credits and everything that you are entitled to. That's right. It's what I, I think um, is the coolest thing is that it's completely free. This mm. is a free income tax prep. Right. Um, I have a great story. This is just last year, um, last year's tax season. A son took his elderly mother to get her taxes done to just one of those walk-in commercial places. Right. Mm-hmm. She was going to get $1,000 back in returns. They went to check out and the cashier said she would be getting $500 back in her bank account because it was going to cost her $500 to get her taxes done. Yeah. And that might not sound like a lot of money to some people. It's $500. not if you've got a really complicated return. That's and maybe right. Maybe you are a business owner. You've got investments that you've got to, you know, right. these things can get complicated. But, but, the, but, you know, this is a person living on a fixed income. Right. Uh, which, as we know, has begun for any of us has become a little more challenging these days with Mm -hmm. prices of food increasing. Sure. So $500 really meant a lot. Um, Spontaneously, he he remembered seeing signs at the Hancock County Public Library. Mm -hmm. So the Finley Hancock County Public Library. So they left and went straight to the library and you do need to schedule an appointment. We happen to have a walk-in appointment at at that time. Yeah. 
and got their taxes done for free. So she had that five hundred dollars plus the you know the five right exactly the full one thousand dollars back wasn't in her going uh, to the uh, tax prep uh, that's right. service. That's and that's right. not to again, it's not to disparage those who prepare taxes for a living. There is certainly a market for that. But right, if you can course. get a uh, a relatively simple return done for free and not have to pay it, why wouldn't you? That's right. That's right. So what's involved? How do folks uh, avail themselves of that service? So we have already um, started. You can schedule your appointment already. That has started. Mm -hmm. Appointments start February 5th. Okay. um, And the VITA specific line of course you can you can call united way but it's it's best to call the vita line which is 567-250-1955 just to repeat that uh and then honestly we just ask of some very few questions to make sure you qualify for the program mm-hmm. uh we do run this on grant dollars so there's requirements that we have to meet right uh and one of those is live or work in hancock county and then that income level um, but honestly, once that's done, we can schedule you and we send a little reminder out for you, a, a confirmation of your appointment with a list of items to bring, and you're all set. Try and make it as uh, easy and painless as possible yes. to do that thing that none of us really likes to do. But again, yeah. just one of the services that the United Way uh, provides and, and has their hands in to uh, help the, the folks in Findlay and Hancock County. And again, uh, Kelly McClurkin is here from the United Way in the spotlight this morning. Mention again the website or the uh, phone number where folks can get more information about the the VITA service specifically because that is so timely. Well, I will say our our website as well because it is on there as well just in case um, that's the way people like to get to us. Our website is uwhancock.org and the VITA line is for tax prep is 567-250-1955. Kelly McClurkin, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you. The Community and Business Spotlight is a promotional advertisement paid for by the featured sponsor. Well, to your health this morning, about 3 million Americans have a pacemaker to help their heart function properly. And like with everything else, technology continues to advance. We are joined this morning by electrophysiologist Dr. Rob Cole. He is vice president and general manager of cardiac pacing therapies at Medtronic, along with cardiac patient Michaela Davis. Dr. Cole, let me start with you. Let's start with the very basics. Explain what a pacemaker is, what it does and some of the signs that someone might need one of these devices. Yeah, absolutely. So a pacemaker is a a small device that sits in the body and is there to make sure your heartbeat, your heart rate is where it should be at a normal, at a normal number. And for a lot of people at rest, that's about 60 to 70. And when they exercise it, it goes up. And what the device does is if it sees that the heart rate is normal, it sits there and does absolutely nothing. And if, however, the heart rate slows um, dangerously slow, it will stimulate and pace the heart to restore that normal heart rate. And, and why is that important? When people's heart, heart rates are too slow, they can have a variety of symptoms that can range from something mild, like just feeling a bit fatigued, all the way to something dangerous where your, your heart pauses or stops for a period of time and you can pass out. And you can imagine if you're climbing stairs or driving a car and you pass out, that can not only be life-threatening to you, but to other people as well. Right. Uh, and, and it's interesting, you mentioned that uh, the, the way a pacemaker works. Is this part of the advancement of technology that, that pacemakers today know 
uh, how whether or not they need to uh, intervene and how uh, what what heart rate it should be for what activity you're getting. It's that that part of the uh, advancements in technology. Yeah, absolutely. And so when you look at the um, uh, the, the trajectory of, of pacer technology, it's it's dropped in size from the original ones that were the size of a hockey puck to now an Oreo cookie for, for the traditional types and now for, for this leadless device uh, the size of a, a vitamin tablet. Uh, also, how long they last. So original pacemakers only lasted two years, and now we're looking at 16- to 17-year battery life. Hmm. And then the sophistication of how they work. And so now they're, they're very intelligent and can look at uh, what time of day it is, what the, what the needs are, and how much exercise someone is doing, and respond to accordingly. Now, Michaela, I want to bring you into the conversation. You uh, have a pacemaker. How did you learn that you were in need of this device and find the treatment that you needed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it actually, it took me a long time really to find out that I needed a pacemaker because I began experiencing some cardiac symptoms in high school, like heart palpitations and dizziness and had many years of symptoms before being accurately diagnosed, um, really just in the past five years, uh, with some heart rhythm issues. And unfortunately for me, it took having a mini stroke and also losing my heart rate for eight seconds before realizing that I needed something, um, you know, stronger in terms of intervention with a pacemaker. And uh, I would imagine part of that is due to your age. Uh, We think of pacemakers as something that older people get. And in fact, the vast majority uh, are implanted in older Americans. uh, And and yet you're living proof that anybody uh, can be at need. Absolutely. I think when you walk into a doctor's office and you're fit and you're, you know, younger on the younger side, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, it, it, there's a tendency to, to misdiagnose or to brush it off, to brush off the symptoms. And that's why it's so important, especially for women, to advocate for your own health and really push until, until you feel like you're satisfied with the answers, particularly when you keep experiencing these symptoms. Yeah, that was uh, actually part of the the message here. Uh, again, with your experience as a prime example, uh, to serve as an example for others who may be experiencing uh, issues with their heart rhythm uh, and so on, to you know keep asking those questions and uh, demanding answers. Absolutely, yeah. Whether it's you or it's a family member or a friend. Um, if something just doesn't seem right, and it's not just for cardiac issues, it's for everything, right? Just know your body um, and really advocate for your own health. Be an active participant in those conversations with your doctor. Now, Dr. Kowal, uh, as we you were kind of alluding to, I want to go back and, and talk a little bit more about this. These uh, latest uh, pacemakers, these new devices, as small as a vitamin pill. These are, in fact, the, the world's smallest pacemakers. Tell us about these devices. Yeah, so... So, uh, as I was mentioning before, because we've had such advancements in battery technology and circuitry, we've been able to eliminate um, the need for these wires or leads or placing what we call the generator under the pocket for this type of pacemaker and can deliver it directly into the heart. Um, and because of that, uh, simplifies the, the, what, what it's doing and eliminates some of the complications or risks that are associated with traditional pacemakers. 
And it's still important that we have both because some patients need a traditional pacemaker. Mm-hmm. But for those who can benefit from this, you know, this may, they may only need one device that sits directly in the heart, is unobtrusive, and they don't even know it's there. And that may be all they need for their pacing needs for a lifetime. So as you mentioned, not everyone is an ideal candidate for this. What uh, types of factors uh, go into determining that just in yeah, general? I, yeah, I think there are a lot of um, kind of technical uh, uh, factors about whether you need pacing in the upper chamber versus the lower chamber. Okay. I think the key here is um, to, again, work with your physician, figure out first, do you need a pacemaker? And then since there are a variety of reasons why you might need a pacemaker, then matching that need to the right device, whether it's a leadless device or a traditional pacemaker with, with wires or leads. Um we have, we have op- options that can benefit um, patients. The key is matching the right device uh, to the right problem, um, and that's done with, with you know, that conversation with a pacemaker expert. And uh, that's another important point is that the, there are a number of reasons why uh, someone may need uh, or could benefit from a pacemaker. And again, part of the advancements in technology mean we have uh, many more options these days. Uh, again, uh, Dr. Rob Kowal, Vice President, General Manager of Cardiac Pacing Therapies at Medtronic and uh, cardiac patient Michaela Davis. Where do we get uh, more information on all of this? Again, as we always say with heart or with health related uh, subjects best source of information is your doctor that being said where can we get more kind of general advice or general information yeah so we have a, we have some good information at medtronic.com/micra m i c r a that's the name of the leadless type of pacemaker and on that site we go over some of the benefits that come with pacing and also some of the risks you have to watch out for like any medical therapy there's a trade off of benefits and risks so that's why you only want someone who needs a pacemaker to get one, but if you need one, we also want to make sure you get therapy. So again, the key is getting that relationship with your physician, as Michaela's story really exemplifies, you know, really being persistent uh, to make sure that, that we get to the bottom of what's going on. Uh, and then having that conversation, if you do need a pacemaker, about what's best for you. To your health this morning, Dr. Rob Kowal, Michaela Davis, thank you both for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Information that makes a difference. Good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Police in Toronto are on the hunt for suspects who they say used explosives in in an attempt to to blow up an ATM outside a TD Canada Trust Bank this past Sunday. The, <laughs> these uh, these two geniuses were caught on camera walking away from a drive through ATM just after 5 a.m. After they walked by, there is an explosion that can be seen near the ATM. The two men then turn around and walk back uh, as if they knew it was going to happen. The uh, suspects left in a gray SUV. It does not appear that any money was taken out of the machines. (laughs) And try to blow up an ATM as if no one would notice that. They didn't get any any money. It didn't work. Not not too good at, uh, at their job of burglarizing the uh, the atm elsewhere in the uh, broken news 
Apparently, you may remember this story from uh, back in October. Uh, the man who stole Dorothy's ruby slippers from a northern Minnesota museum turns out will not spend any time behind bars. 76-year-old Terry John Martin, who should be old enough to know better, pleaded guilty back in October admitting that he used a sledgehammer to break the encasement and steal the shoes worn by actress Judy Garland in The Wizard of Oz. It was his defense. Mr. Martin said he got rid of the slippers after realizing they weren't made of real rubies. <laughs> really? Did you not know that it was this a shocker that they were not real rubies? Endure these ruby slippers, the prop from the film, that they wouldn't use real rubies? Was that really a shock? Uh, apparently, uh, Mr. Martin has a number of health issues and actually is currently in hospice care. Um, he was uh, sentenced to time served on Monday and ordered to pay restitution to the museum for the damage done. <laughs> wow. <clears throat> he didn't know that they weren't real rubies. All right. Uh, our dumb criminal of the day, that would be hard to, that would be hard to top, but they... Even a dumber criminal of the day in Springfield, Illinois, James Kirst, age 45, was released on uh, was released from jail on Friday and then found himself back behind bars just 15 minutes later. That's got to be some kind of record. Uh, Miss Kirst was busted for criminal trespassing and released from the uh, Sangamon County Jail in Illinois, 7.34 p.m. on Friday. Uh, at 7.49 p.m., Mr. Kirst allegedly called the uh, local dispatchers and told them he had thrown a metal pole through the front entrance of the county building, causing $3,500 worth of damage. <laughs> he turned himself in 15 minutes later. He was promptly rearrested and returned to the county lockup, charged with criminal damage to government property, uh, which is a class three felony. Um, and apparently, I, I guess he just wanted to go home. He should feel right at home. He has 42 previous arrests and charges from other crimes. So. <laughs> apparently, it's one of those things like, I don't know how to function out on the outside. So intentionally got himself arrested 15 minutes later. There you go. Um, this is a rather unusual theft in the broken news. And occasionally we have these uh, strange things that people will steal uh, in terms of uh, transportation. We had one uh, last week. What was it last week? I remember. But we've had all kinds of uh, different uh, modes of transportation, ambulances, forklifts, <laughs> large construction equipment, so on and so forth. In uh, West Haven, Connecticut, a man has been arrested for allegedly stealing a truck that was carrying $30,000 worth of ice cream. Uh, police responded to a 911 call reporting that the ice cream truck had been stolen from the victim while he was making the rounds to local businesses. Officers 
Assigned to the Bridgeport Police Auto Theft Task Force in coordination with state police, found the suspect, identified as 35-year-old Travis Jones, still behind the wheel of the truck, and took him into custody. Uh, Mr. Jones was charged with larceny of motor vehicle and first-degree larceny of the ice cream. Uh, he is being held in lieu of $50,000 bail. Uh, the story does not say whether he was actually looking to steal the truck or he was looking to steal the ice cream in the truck. But either way, he's charged with the theft of both. And uh, he's a a very bad boy. He's in a lot of trouble with the law. So. 30000 Stealing a truck is one thing. Stealing $30,000 worth of ice cream. Now that is serious. And finally, in the broken news this morning, back to the international file, a man, a man pulled over by police in Sydney, Australia, uh, for a random traffic stop, found himself in big trouble when he accidentally handed the cop a bag of cocaine along with his driver's license. <laughs> The officer wants to see his license. He pulls that out of his uh, back pocket, and along with the license comes a bag of cocaine. When asked about the bag, (laughs) obviously the officer inquired about the bag. What is this? The driver admitted that it did, in fact, contain drugs. He explained that he had been using the drug during his uh, New Year's Eve celebration and forgot that he had it in his wallet. It seems to me that that would not be something that you would just forget about. You know what I mean? But I guess if you're high, strange things, I guess you could forget about it. Is that he had just forgotten that he had it there. The driver th- did, though, insist that he had not used the drug since that New Year's Eve debauchery. And he underwent a breathalyzer test and drug testing, which returned negative results. So he was not driving... <laughs> under the influence, but he's still in a little bit of trouble for having the drugs in the first place. (laughs) New Year's Eve party leftovers or not. Uh, There there you go. Uh, That is just an unfortunate mistake right there. There you go. Uh, That is uh, today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Did you know more than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for their news, traffic, weather, sports, and a community connection? AM radio is the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping Americans safe in dangerous times. This is News Director Matt Demchek. AM 1330 WFIN is here to serve you, and we take seriously our commitment to our listeners. We would love to hear what you value most about AM radio. Visit wearebroadcasters.com and tell us how you depend on AM. for your daily download the numbers behind the news the statistics that shape our lives so earlier this week uh advertisements were introduced to amazon's prime video streaming service this was uh, big news in the world of uh, technology and entertainment uh, amazon introducing ads they've been warning about this the ads were coming and on monday as expected uh we got the first ads on uh, prime video and now with that All five of the biggest streaming services, Prime, Netflix, Disney+, Max, and Paramount+, are all ad-supported 
at their lowest price points. If you want to get no ads, you got to pay uh, a lot more. But the lowest price subscription on all of those are now ad-supported. And people are getting frustrated, um, despite the fact that these days streaming is the preferred method of getting our television entertainment. Americans are getting fed up with the rising cost and the intrusion of those advertisements into their binging. And to that end, they, and, and they want out. It's, uh, say this is kind of cord-cutting 2.0, people culling their streaming services. Uh, so the uh, folks at QR Code Generator Hub used search data, Google search data. They analyzed this to find out which services users most want to delete, which ones are most at risk of being canceled. Topping the list was YouTube TV. Um, there have been, according to QR's data, there's been 35,500 monthly searches on how to unsubscribe from YouTube TV, which is, uh, with their live platform, $73 a month. The second streamer that users wanted to delete most was Netflix. Thanks to rising rates, ads for some levels of uh, subscription, and a global clampdown on password sharing, once a touted benefit of the streaming giant, some 10,000 people a month are searching for how to unsubscribe from Netflix. It was number two. Now, that said, Netflix still gained more than 13 million subscribers in the last quarter of 2023, so they're growing faster than people are leaving, but still, it's number two on the list of most wanted to delete, according to these search results. Net, uh, after Netflix, Hulu ranked third. Although the platform has 42.8 million users globally, there were 5,350 monthly queries from users who wanted out. So nearly 5,500 searches on how to cancel Hulu. Um, the animation platform, Crunchyroll, ranked fourth with a little over 5,000 monthly searches on how to unsubscribe. I must admit, I'm not familiar with Crunchyroll, but that was number four. And coming in fifth was Disney Plus, again, with increasing rates and poor reception for some of its uh, content. The streaming service uh, from parent company ABC lost 11.6 million subscribers uh, by the end of 2023, and 3,557 people a month are looking to become former subscribers of Disney+. Plus. And now to a podcast exclusive, something you will only hear on the Good Mornings Podcast Edition today. You remember yesterday on the program, we were talking with Michelle from the Park District about the lack of snow that we have had this year, the lack of significant snow, and how that has kind of put the kibosh on the cross-country ski season thus far. Well, as it happens, January is National Learn to Ski and Snowboard Month, so if you are looking for a winter getaway where you can get a little skiing in, you might want to check out the area of Western Massachusetts. Lifestyle expert and Women's Day Editor-in-Chief Megan Murphy is with us this morning. Why Western Massachusetts? 
Oh, Western Mass is a hidden gem. It's super accessible. So it's it's an hour and a half out of Boston, two and a half hours out of New York City. It's affordable. It's got diverse terrain, a really cool opera ski scene. It's it's a good escape from the crowded slopes of some more famous locations for for skiing and snowboarding. You can ski, you can snowboard, you can snowshoe, you can snow tube. I mean, it's got all of the snow sports, but it's just a little bit more accessible and a little bit more affordable. So what are some of the uh, best resorts, best locations uh, in that area that folks might want to check out? So you've got the Berkshire East Mountain Resort. That's good for skiing and snowboarding. You've got the Bosque Mountain Resort. That's in the Berkshires, and it's the oldest in the area. So it's got that charm. You've got the Catamount Mountain Resort. Really varied terrain, great four-season place, uh, good for all levels. And then you have the Jiminy Peak Mountain Resort, which is very family-friendly. What about attractions off the slopes? Because we're going... I mean, you know, the the skiing, snowboarding and such, that's great. I don't know that we want to do that round the clock. That's the only thing that we want to do. We're going to do some, uh, take in some sites, some attractions off the slopes. Plenty to do as well, right? Oh, my gosh. It's wild. There's so much in Western Mass. So, first of all, it's the birthplace of basketball. So, you've got the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. My boys are 10 and 11. They love to ski, but they love basketball. So, like, they think you know, that there's nothing cooler than the Basketball Hall of Fame. It's also the birthplace in the hometown of Dr. Seuss, the amazing world of Dr. Seuss Museum. There's the Eric Carle Museum. He was the legendary illustrator behind the Very Hungry Caterpillar. That's super interactive. There's a theater. There's story time. It is also the home of Yankee Candle. So you've got Yankee Candle Village where you can shop for candles. But this store is next level. You can even DIY your own Yankee Candle at a little thing called Waxworks and even personalize the label. So there's really something to do for everyone outside of just winter sports. You know, these are uh, great things that I love to find out about places that you might not necessarily immediately think of as uh, vacation destinations. And again, especially if you're into winter fun, this is a, a great place to check out. Where do we get more information, Megan? Go to explorewesternmass.com slash learn to ski. The website is really comprehensive. That's explorewesternmass.com slash learn to ski. There are really good deals happening now on ski packages that include lessons and lift tickets and rentals. It is National Learn to Ski and Snowboard Month, so now is the time to book that trip. Go to explorewesternmass.com slash learn to ski for all the information I shared and to get an inside track on some of the deals. Very good, and it's not that far away either. It is uh, something that you can do uh, if even if you don't have you know like a whole week or you just have a few days uh, to go. It's a great uh, great place to uh, check out. Again, uh, lifestyle expert and Woman's Day editor-in-chief Megan Murphy with us this morning. We get a link up on our webpage. Megan, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Chris. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, rescheduled from last week. It's been three months since the VA announced a new clinic would be coming to Findlay, and it's about six months until that clinic will officially be open. 
Hancock County Veterans Services is doing much of the hardest work in preparing for that clinic to arrive right now. And Nicole Coleman will join us with more details. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.